Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm your host and coach, Tyler Johnson. Thank you for tuning in. If you are a return listener, I'd be grateful for your rating or review. And if you dig this episode, give us a like or share. And now, whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you are in the right place. My guest this episode is a former West Point graduate and professor, where he also played baseball and later joined as a coach in the dugout for Army. He went on during his career to get his PhD in political science from Stanford University. During his 20-year career in military service, he flew Apache attack helicopters with over 10,000 hours of deployment flight. After his military career, he went on to start the Pacino Leadership Institute, a four-year leadership program at Seton Hall University. He then started his own company, Top Mental Game. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram at Top Mental Game. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Dr. Brian Price. How are you doing today? Awesome, TJ. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, excited to have you on. Um, I see the shirt there. Let's jump right in. Your top mental game. What inspired you to start your company, Top Mental Game? Yeah, so um, I was an athlete growing up, ended up uh, playing three sports uh, here in um, from the Jersey Shore. So I went to Manasquan High School and played football, baseball, and basketball. Then went to go play uh, four years of baseball at West Point. And then at West Point, they had a place there called uh, the Center for Enhanced Performance, which was a bunch of sports psychologists that would end up working with Army's Division I teams and athletes. That was kind of like my first exposure to you know, this thing that we call the mental game. And so uh, if you're familiar with uh, the, the military and the academies, you got to go serve your time. And so I thought I was going to go out and serve for five. Joke was on me, ended up serving for 20. Uh, the first half of my career, I was a attack helicopter pilot. So I flew Apache helicopters, uh, had operational experiences in Iraq and Afghanistan. And then the army sent me to Stanford University to get a PhD in political science and ended up coming back and teaching at West Point. And while I was there, I was also able to kind of be an assistant coach in the baseball team too. So uh, that was where I really kind of, um, I didn't take many advantages of the center for enhanced performance when I was a player. Uh, That was in the the late nineties, but I really took advantage of it as a a coach and I saw the value that they brought to players. So I retired from the army as a Lieutenant Colonel in 2018 and started working at uh, Seton Hall university where I stood up this place called the Bucino leadership Institute. And I started working with their division one athletes on the mental game. Uh, and I started working initially with their women's golf team and their baseball team. And all those tools that I had applied in, you know, uh, metal performance through the center for enhanced performance at, at West point were such a natural fit. And so I started top metal game in 2019. So, uh, the rest is, as they say, is history. Yeah. Can I, uh, back into the Seton hall moment for a second. Sure. Um, I find that there's there's a hunger from college student athletes to obtain and learn some of these skills, but confusion in how to go about it. Did did you experience that, or can I? Am I wrong? I I think um, you know, growing up, I was an undersized athlete, right? And so I feel like I had to utilize you know the mental game and my mental toughness in order for me just to kind of uh, keep up with the Joneses that were bigger, faster, stronger than me. 
And so um, when I got to Seton Hall, you know, they play in the Big East, uh, you know, uh, excellent conference. I had this illusion that, you know, and a little bit of imposter syndrome that I felt like they would already know all this stuff. And man, is that like not the case at all? Um, I'm sure some of your listeners are from like power five schools and stuff where they have sports psychologists and stuff on staff uh, and folks that work on, on the mental game. But at the, at most colleges, as you know, it's non-existent. So uh, I, I saw a lot of myths, um, you know, and, and what I felt was the more experienced coaches were the ones that were also hungriest for folks like myself, mm. right? Uh, because they, they, they recognize they've been around the game for a long time. They recognize that, you know, uh, physical performance will only take you so far, but if you have a mentally tough team, you know, look out. So I think too, I think so is a good question. What has changed more the game you coach or the mental game that, you know, I, I, the rules of baseball haven't changed a lot. Like, in, in, in forever, <laughs> you know, I mean, very subtle ones. Right. But, but the mental approach I think has drastically changed um, on that. You kind of with the, the center there at the army um, you said you didn't kind of use it initially as an athlete. You came back as a coach and saw some of that value. Can you speak maybe a little bit, you know, being a cadet in, in teaching and coaching at, at West point um, how maybe mindfulness was viewed at maybe, when you were getting started to how it's being infused and utilized today. Yeah. So I might be dating myself here, but the mindfulness component and the mental health component were essentially largely non-existent. You know, when I was, when I was going through the Academy and in the early stages of uh, my, my military career, I think it wasn't only until uh, we had a lot of soldiers coming back with PTSD and, you know, difficulties on deployments where mental and suicides, right? I mean, uh, that really kind of put mental health on the forefront. When I was going through, uh, I think there was still a lot of stigma attached to the, you know, mindfulness and, you know, and I think you see, you probably saw some of this stuff in corporate America as well. Whereas like, you know, 35 years ago, if I told you that, you know, leaders needed a mental, you know, a, a leadership coach or a mental coach, or that there would be yoga in <laughs> mindfulness centers in Fortune 100 companies, you would have thought I was nuts. And today, you can't go to any one of those places without all of those things being in place. Uh, so, you know, I, I think um, the Army has come a long way when it comes to the, the mental health component of uh, caring for its soldiers. O overdue. Very cool. Good to hear. Uh, into that coaching role, um, you talked about flying an Apache helicopter, which to me being a, just sounds like the coolest thing. Like I fly <laughs> Apache helicopters. It'd be too uh, often. Yeah. Um, was there a, you know, then going back into the, the dugout to coach, was there a leadership lesson that, you know, maybe that kind of stuck out to you that kind of transcend the uh, battlefield to the ball field? Um, it's interesting. Cause I, I, I could have, I could have taken it the other way and talked about the lessons from ball field to, to, uh, to go that way then <laughs> combat. Um, and, and both, you know, I, I learned, obviously you learn a lot about yourself in both scenarios. I think going from sports to the military, you know, one of the things that was kind of driven into us from a baseball perspective is like team first, you know, mission first kind of component, like you got to get the job done. Um, but also in baseball, there's a lot of selflessness, you know, yeah. uh, especially, you know, a, 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 like a person my size when I was playing, 
I had to, uh, you know, you got to sacrifice bunt. You got to move people over. And maybe the component that I was probably most known for playing that I think transcended into uh, both the military and then in kind of my, my life right now is, is hustle. And one of the things that I, you know, if you talk to any of my former players, uh, or former teammates rather, um, whenever I walked on the baseball field, like if I drew a walk, I would sprint to first base like somebody was, uh, somebody was chasing me. Um, and when I, if I, on the few occasions that I hit a home run, I was sprinting around the bases and it was like, that's what you are kind of known for. And I feel like that type of mentality and effort was easy to transcend over into, uh, into the, the army side of the house going on the other way of taking army lessons to apply back to, uh, you know, sports. Um, I think, Again, being in combat probably gives you a little bit of perspective on what's important in life. And so you obviously have a little different um, viewpoint on stress and pressure and what really matters. Um, So maybe giving some of that perspective to some of my players of, you know, this, hey, like literally we're not getting shot at. Um, Let's try to use some tools and techniques, which I try to incorporate with Top Mental Game on how to overcome that pressure. Uh, And the last thing I'll say is, when people ask me like what I do, cause I, I have a very eclectic coaching. Like I work with athletes, I work with athletic coaches and I work with general officers and I work with uh, business leaders. Yeah. And to me, that whole umbrella you can put that under is how do we operate under pressure? How do we perform at our best when it matters the most? And this, your body reacts the same way to being nervous when it's a full count bases loaded game on the line as it does getting up and having to give a presentation in front of a boardroom or a class. So like the body reacts the same. So how do, what, what are those tools that we can learn to kind of help us uh, perform at our best? Sometimes the body reacts, uh, you know, the presentation example, just thinking about the presentation. <laughs> yeah, it, it, absolutely. Right. Sweaty palms and uh, shallow breathing for sure. Yeah. I think in that, you know, leads right into visualization, right? I think, you know, totally. um, how do you, how do you see it twice? Uh, from your experience you know, as a coach in the army, how did the military do they, how, I don't know if the teach is the right word, ingrain, uh, indoctrinate some of the mental toughness? Uh, can you talk a little bit about what, what they do well in, in developing those things through their programs? I think you see this, what I'm going to talk about. You definitely see it at the academies, you see it in basic training. You see it in some of our assessment programs and ranger school and uh, the Navy and their buds and these sorts of things. And it's to me, I think the army, I don't care how talented you are. Let's take West Point, for example. Um, you might be the best athlete, best student, best everything. You're going to find something where you're going to fail at. Like it's going to be something. It might be uh, shining your shoes. It might be chemistry. It might be jumping off the 10 meter platform, which you got to do to graduate something you're going to fail at. And so how do you recover from that? Right? Like, how do you, how do you overcome that? And I think the two things that the army kind of instills in you, at least from a, you know, very early, um, you know, in the developmental period is like mission first people always, you know, the mission's going to get done. You got to figure it out, but you also have to take care of your people along the way. And And that's oftentimes that's the key to you accomplishing your mission. So those two things, I think, you know, uh, that's great leadership advice, you know, in the outside world as well. Yeah, no doubt. Um, 
what do you place at the core of, of developing leadership when you're working with student athletes? What's yeah. You mentioned selflessness. Um, if when people ask me about like, what is one word that I use to describe leadership? Um, I use an example. Actually, I got it for my students. Um, at Seton Hall, we have about 80 students per class. So um, in our freshman year of 80 students, we bring in another 80 every year. And on the first day of uh, the leadership for your leadership program that I run, I ask them to define leadership. I say, don't pull out your phone, don't Google it, just on you know, a piece of paper, write down what you think leadership is. And then I aggregate all those answers and put it into a word cloud. And the one word that comes up, it's four years in a row at this point, larger than any other, more frequent than any other, is the word others. Mm. And if I had one word to describe leadership, it's, it's others. Um, our format, and I think, you know, any of the listeners out there that, you know, I'm sure you have a ton of leaders that are on here, but if you're looking at developing leaders, um, I do believe that leaders can be, you know, made. They're not, they're not always born. And so there's kind of like five components that I believe are in, essential to this. First and foremost is I call B. And the, the model is B, learn, do, reflect, repeat. So the first one, you know, talk about mental, mental toughness and uh, mental acuity is like, you have to believe that you're a leader. If you don't believe you're a leader, it's difficult for other people to, you know, to, to follow suit. And that leadership is a mindset at the end of the day. The learn component is, I think leaders are learners. And when you stop learning, you stop leading. So are you learning about your strengths, your weaknesses, your vulnerabilities? And then how do you, you know, match those up uh, when you hire people and how you build your team? The do component is, I think leadership is a contact sport. Can't just read about it. Yeah, this podcast's awesome, but you can't just listen to podcasts about right. it. You got to get at bats. And so, you know, what we usually like to kind of uh, make the analogy is leadership is a lot like driving a car. You don't get to be an awesome driver by just memorizing the driver's manual. You got to get out there behind the wheel and make mistakes. And then the last two, reflect and repeat. Uh, you can't be afraid of feedback. The only way you're going to get better at anything is, is through, you know, seeking out that feedback. And that's what reflect is about. And then the last one is going back to the mindset component. You never make it as a leader. You know, it's not a title. And if you feel like you've made it and you want to kick your feet up and put your head, hands behind your back, you know, search for a new, you know, uh, a new profession. So repeat, go all the way back to the, to the top. Um, so anyways, that's, that's kind of at the core of how we build our leaders at Seton Hall. I love it. I love it. Um, you talked a bit, you know, about others. I wanted to dig into selflessness. Why does that, you know, you said four years in a row that the others have come up in your, your student survey of, of kind of how they view leadership. Why is that servant mindset, selflessness, putting others first, really at the core, what drives leadership? I think when you boil it all down, I think at our like root, we want to be, we want to be led by people that we respect and that, you know, I, I tell people to be the leader that you want to be led by. I think there's a misconception and I understand why from movies and stuff that like the military is this very kind of hierarchical and it is right organization where, you know, you get like the drill instructor, like telling you what to do, but 
when you peel the onion back, and this has been written about, you know, Simon Sinek wrote his book on leaders eat last. Like that's a real thing. Like when you go out to the field with your soldiers and it's dinner time, you will see the leadership not in the front of the line. You will see the leaders in the back of the line. And to me, like um, that is where you get buy-in from, from people. And I think when you see what happens either in, you know, pro, we see it in pro sports now, we see it in college sports and coaching and in corporate America, people get themselves in trouble. Like all those scandals are when the leaders are putting themselves in that entitled space out front and not behind. And so I think it's just a, um, that's how people want to be led is, you know, they want their, their leaders to be eaten last and, you know, taking care of them as opposed to taking care of themselves. Yeah. I think there's a, a, a giant bridge of trust in there, right? Somewhere in between. Totally. Um, what's a way, maybe especially spend some time with some college athletes and, and younger cadets, what's a way coaches can build some of that trust with younger student athletes? I think um, being authentic and vulnerable are probably two great qualities if you're looking to, to build trust on a team. And this yeah. is kind of how I articulate it. And the same thing happens in business too which is like, and by the way, trust is the magic elixir of all great elite teams. I don't care if you're talking about special forces or great athletic teams, it's trust. But to trust you, I have to know you, right? And to know, to really know you, you have to, I have to be wanting to seek, you know, out that knowledge in you, but you also have to be a little bit vulnerable to let me in. And so we do some interesting things um, in our leadership program. I've done it with some, uh, some teams that I work with. Uh, I call it kind of a crucible moments exercise, which is pretty easy to do. Um, you know, we ask our athletes to kind of come up with what is, what is the one moment in their life where they feel like that one moment has helped define who they are. And usually those moments are, you know, overcoming some tremendous adversity. Uh, and so we actually go around the room and have everybody kind of share what that is. And it's emotional. There's usually, you know, I've been in, uh, rooms of, uh, baseball teams of, you know, people are, you know, grown men are crying, um, and kind of sharing this stuff. But boy, when you walk out of that room, you know, each other in a deeper level than you ever would have beforehand. And that builds trust. It's tough to build trust at the, at the surface level, as you know. There's uh, one of my former guests on here. He has a saying that whenever we, victory goes to the vulnerable. Yes. And so I always, whenever I hear that, I always think of Graham. Uh, it's like, you know, victory goes to the vulnerable, man. And, and it's you know, counterintuitive because, you know, the leadership of the 50s and 60s was all about the figurehead, the person out front showing strength to everybody. But again, when you see this in football teams and stuff, like, the best coaches leadership is about connecting with people yeah. and you can't really connect with people until you feel like you're vulnerable enough to be authentic with each other. Yeah. You know, like in the, you know, that's why in the military, um, they make you vulnerable really quick. Right. <laughs> so yeah. like in some of the, you know, our harder core assessments like Ranger school and those sorts of things where you're freezing to death and you're hungry and cold, and the closest thing for you to like staying alive is to snuggle with the, you know, the guy in front of you. <laughs> like yeah. it doesn't get more vulnerable than that. Um, no so uh, yeah, I don't think we have to go to those extremes in athletics, but, uh, but it, the, the, the concept is still there. Yeah. I think there's a good, uh, I heard a coach say once, you know, 
ta- he's talking to a bunch of coaches and he said, you guys do a good job of all showing your strength, but don't be afraid to show your heart. Love that. And, and I think as coaches, it's, it's easier. So we want to you know, project strength and, and some of those qualities that we think uh, make us leaders. But, uh, you know, if we can show our hearts a little bit, I think that opens the door to just the things you were talking about, trust, vulnerability. And if there's little tears on along the way, that's, you know, um, everyone that's good. <laughs> I think it's usually a connecting tier. <laughs> I, I think it comes down to being authentic. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's just, just being you. And I think kids these days are, they've got access to way more information. They can see if you're full of crap a little bit quicker. Uh, their intuition is probably accelerated than some of our teenage uh, intuitions and stuff on, you know, are you at least real? Do you care? Are you authentic? And I think um, their BS meters for those things are, are way more in tune than they were 10 years ago. Totally. Same with soldiers. <laughs> yeah. Same with soldiers, for yeah. sure. No doubt. Um, last question I always like to, to end with. Um, you've done a lot of things I think we would uh, characterize in America as successful uh, military career, um, a successful baseball player at West Point. Uh, but how do you define success? So when I first started listening to your podcast, I, I put down my answer first and then went back and listened to a, a couple others. And I'll tell you that uh, my first response was um, maximizing your own potential, whatever that is. But I realized that there's been others that have given that answer, which I think is, you know, if something is cliche, it means <laughs> there's, there's something to that. Yeah. But I'll give you, you know, um, along the theme that we've been talking about others, I think, you know, an alternative answer, which I think is, is equally as viable in my life, I, my, I, I next went to others, right? Like, you should define your success by are you making other people's lives better? And when we all think about our legacy and, you know, what we're trying to do on this planet, like, my first thing that came to mind was my kid. I got a 13-year-old. Like, my success will be, is she a success? Is she a good person? Is she nice to people? You know, like, and then you could say the same thing for your athletes, you know, the athletes, uh, you know, my soldiers, my, my students, um, to me, if, if you can call those people a success and you've made their lives better, I think that's a pretty darn good, uh, definition for success. Thank you for listening. If something caught your ear as useful or unique this episode, we would love your help spreading the Elevate message. You can find me on Instagram at Elevate Educate Rejuvenate. That's with the numeral instead of the A-T-E. Thank you again, and if I can help you with anything, please reach out. And don't forget, go elevate others.